Radio Mano Papachango. This is uh, Dr. Christopher Ryan coming to you from Barcelona. Uh, this is a big episode. This is a very big episode. Um, the guest this week is Neil Brennan, who is probably best known for his role in uh, co-writing the Dave Chappelle show. He may have co-created it as well. I'm not sure. I should look up those uh, those credits. But he definitely co-wrote it and uh, wrote a lot of stuff with Dave Chappelle over the years. Uh, those of you who have been living on Saturn for the last 10 years may not know that Dave Chappelle is one of the most successful, admired comedians of the last decade or two and uh, had the most successful show on TV ever, I believe. You know, judged by how do they judge it? By DVD sales or something? I don't know. Anyway, uh, phenomenally clever, intelligent, and as you'll hear, uh, profound guy Neil Brennan. He's um, recently done a special on Netflix called Three Mics, which I spoke about on this podcast before I had any clue that Neil would possibly agree to be on my podcast. Um, but uh, it, it's just so good. You, you really have to see it. Anyway, Neil Brennan is the guest. He's amazing. And uh, before I get on to other things and forget about it, I want to th thank Malcolm Fleischman for, again, hooking me up with an amazing guest. Malcolm's a producer on The Young Turks, and he and I became buddies a few years ago when I was, uh, when I did a, a few segments on there. And, and ever since then, when uh, he thinks of somebody particularly intelligent and, and uh, deep thinking for some reason, he hooks them up with me and, and often they agree to be on the podcast. So I'm in deep gratitude to Malcolm, as always. Uh, what else? The other big news in this uh, to be announced on this episode is that Tangentially Reading is ready to be pre-ordered, ladies and gentlemen. That's right. The podcast coming to you in book form. Uh, they'll be ready to ship out in early December, I believe. So there'll be a great uh, Christmas gift. If there's anyone in your life who doesn't get why podcasts are interesting, or at least why this one may be interesting to you, uh, the book is a great way to introduce them to the concept. It's excerpts from some of the best episodes that we've done so far. <clears throat> um, of course, I think every episode is fantastic. And in future volumes, if this one sells well enough, we'll be doing a volume probably once a year. Um, but this is a really special project because not only is it um, excerpts from some of the most fascinating conversations I've had with people, but the whole thing has been put together 
by the community of people who are involved with this podcast. I'm talking about you, the listeners. So uh, the the art in the book is done by one of our listeners, Anna McDade. The, the transcripts have been done by a team of different listeners. People did parts of uh, episodes. Some people did several episodes. Um, the, the the editing has been done by people who listen to the podcast, the, the design, the page layouts, the the choice of which um, interviews or conversations to include. All these decisions really have been made by people other than me. Um, and I'm thrilled about that. So this is not a book by me. Uh, this is a book in which I appear as a character, I guess, uh, an instigator, a shit stirrer of sorts, but it's not my book. It's really your book. And so uh, we're selling it as cheaply as possible. It's 20 bucks a volume. Uh, and uh, there are a bunch of uh, different bonus things. If you buy five or ten, you know, I'm going to do a Skype call with people, and I forget what the different levels are, but if you buy a certain number of books, uh, you know, we, we can meet up in L.A., have a beer. You know, there are all sorts of, like, little bonus things like that. So it's sort of a, a Kickstarter deal, but um, basically what we're doing is trying to gauge uh, how many books to print up in the first printing based upon your interest. So if you're interested, if you think it's something that you'd like, if, if it's something that would be a good gift, uh, definitely please jump right on it and order a copy or several copies as soon as possible um, so that we can make sure we print up enough and get this thing rolling. But where, Chris, where can I order a copy of Tangentially Reading? I hear people asking. Well, Go to tangentiallyspeaking.com and you'll see the uh, the image of the book in the right banner. Click on that and it'll take you right to the website. If you want to go to the website directly, uh, it's misfitpress.co slash LP slash tangentiallyreading, which, I don't know, that seems like a lot of hassle. Uh so I am looking and confirming. Yes, if you just uh, type in tangentiallyreading.com, it'll take you right to the site. So lots of ways to get there. All you need to remember is that the name of the book is Tangentially Reading. And uh, Google that or go to tangentiallyreading.com or just through my site. You'll see the ad. So please order a bunch of those books. Make us all happy. Keep this thing rolling because... As you may know, my deepest ambition in life is to be a writer who doesn't actually have to do that much writing. And this would make it all come true because then I could just put out one of these books every year with the best excerpts from the podcast and uh, I could just call myself a writer and go around handing out books like I do now, but I wouldn't have to really sit around and write too much. Um. But speaking of writing, I am going to do some writing. Uh, I'm going to finish this fucking book, Civilized to Death, that you've heard me talk about so much over the years because the time is ripe. I think one of the reasons I've been sort of delaying is like a subconscious sense that the world wasn't quite ready to hear the message that I want to send in this book. 
and uh, now I'm getting the the strong sense that the world is ready to hear it. So I'm going to finish that book and get it out this summer probably because, uh, yeah, I think the world is ready to hear the message that civilization may not be all it's been cracked up to be. Hmm. Okay, what else? I'm in Barcelona. It's a shitstorm over here. Uh, all this independence happening. Uh, a lot of demonstrations in the street. Helicopters hovering overhead every fucking day. Meanwhile, Cassie and I are going through our apartment, which is just full of chaos of all this stuff that we accumulated over the years. And we're packing everything up and... Uh, throwing away a lot. I threw away hundreds of books the other day, which, oh man, that was hard. Uh, books, books and camping gear are my two uh, weak points when it comes to materialism. Uh, yeah, those are those are two things that I uh, definitely have trouble not accumulating. And I, I do the Kindle thing, but honestly, I forget that I have all these books in the Kindle and I don't get around to reading them very often. So I don't know, maybe I have to learn a new discipline or maybe I'm just tired of looking into screens. You know, I really like holding a book in my hands. But uh, yeah, anyway, so there's a lot of uh, a lot going on here, a lot of change. It's uh, it's interesting to be moving out of this city I've been identified with for, wow, 27 years, uh, at the same time that the city itself is moving out of the country it's been identified with for centuries. So there seems to be a, a universal convergence of sorts happening. Um, I know I, I sort of romanticize my life in Spain sometimes. I've Some of you Americans have been like, yeah, Chris is always talking about how great Spain is and what you're seeing, you know, America sucks. And uh, yeah, I know I do tend to do that. But uh, there are things that annoy me about Spain, too. Have no fear. Uh, one of them is, that I was thinking about recently, is that uh, the people here don't like to cook food very much. They Everything seems to be raw or half raw. It's like... Um, Everything's undercooked, in my opinion. And it's interesting. I've been thinking about how people who are normally very nonjudgmental and, uh, you know, live and let live type people, when it comes to meat, they get very judgmental. They feel very comfortable being judgmental about people who like their meat cooked. I don't really understand that. It's a strange phenomenon. I, I was having dinner the other night with someone and... um I, uh, we were eating beef, and I said, uh, oh, is there a piece that's uh, more well done? Because it was very, very, it was raw. I mean, it looked like it had just been hit by a car. It was terrible. And um, and uh, the woman, I said, yeah, I, I like my uh, my beef pretty well done. And, and she said, oh, you obviously weren't raised well. And I was like, what? Now, she was kidding, of course, but still, it was like, it's just it's a funny thing how free people are oh you're ruining a perfectly good piece of meat as as if you're like insulting the animal somehow by by cooking the meat um and i get it i guess i mean i like vegetables crispy and just lightly steamed i like pasta al dente you know but the thing is 
I have worked in a meat processing plant. Fish, to be specific, but I guess fish is meat of a sort, right? Dead animals. And I've seen the fucking worms. I've seen the shit that's in dead animals. I mean... I mean, live animals have fucking worms in them. So when we die and we can't defend against them anymore, then the fucking worms take over. I don't want to eat the worms. And mad cow disease? Whatever happened to that? That was like a huge thing for a while, and now nobody talks about it anymore. Anyway, I mean, really, I guess I should probably not eat meat, or I should hunt for my meat the way Joe Rogan does. But... uh, um. Barring that, eating meat that comes from these disgusting factory farms full of feces and fear, I I guess I just try to cook some of that shit away. The E. coli and the salmonella and whatever else is smeared all over meat. Anyway, make sure to get yourself a copy of Tangentially Reading, featuring conversations with the great Joe Rogan, Duncan Trussell, Mary Roach, Fascinating. Andrew Weil. Um, God, who else? Neil Strauss. So many. Josh Fox. Uh, fascinating people. Really interesting people that I'm so fucking thrilled to um, to consider friends. Really, everybody who's in this first first ep- first volume, um, you know, is either was a friend and came on the podcast or became a friend after so i'm just fucking thrilled uh and i hope you will be too so please go out and get a copy right away and in the meantime i hope you'll enjoy this conversation with neil brennan who i gotta say i don't know why he agreed to do the podcast you know there's there are a lot of people come on the podcast they have something to sell they have uh, a perspective that they're trying to to get out into the world that you know they've they, they've got an agenda and and it's a cool agenda i i rarely if ever have people on the podcast um you know just because they're trying to sell something you'll notice uh there's been virtually no one on the podcast who's like and you know sign up for my 10 video course uh, you know in self-actualization like those people i get emails from them all the time they all want to come on the podcast and push their their products and um you know i'm sure some of those products are fine but uh that's i'm not trying to bring you those kind of people i'm trying to bring you people who either don't have a microphone uh or are like undiscovered, just really interesting people with a story to tell, or um, fascinating people who are willing to just talk and not try to, you know, sell whatever their latest movie is or whatever. In the case of Neil Brennan, he had absolutely nothing to gain from being on this podcast. The dude is rich, he's famous, he's won everything he could possibly want to win. He hangs out with Chris Rock and Louis C.K. He writes for Saturday Night Live. He's, you know, whatever. Every door is open to him. And there's no door that this podcast is going to suddenly help him get through. So it was just, uh, I don't know why he did the podcast, honestly. He'd never met me. We're not pals. Um, But afterwards, when I thanked him, 
And I was at his house. That's the other thing. He invites me to his home. I'm at his house, and, and as I was thanking him when I was leaving, I said, man, there's really no reason for you to do this. I really appreciate it. And he said, ah, we're kindred spirits, or maybe kindred souls, but kindred something. I thought, well, that's beautiful. So I'm very proud to be a kindred spirit of this guy because he's uh, a very impressive person. All right, I'm going to play you out with a tune. Uh, and I don't remember where this tune came from. I think it may be a listener uh, who sent it to me and may actually be the artist, Justin Landing. So, Justin, if you're listening to this, thank you. And I'm sorry I forgot <laughs> that you sent this to me. I have no idea. You know, people send me stuff. I listen to it. I like it. I throw it into a file. And then I don't know, the years go by. So, anyway, the song's called Burns Tonight. And it's by Justin Anding. A-N-D-I-N-G. Very simple, very sweet, and uh, quite profound. Hope you enjoy it. And uh, don't forget to order that book. Thanks. Bye. Working man's out on the street. Police are still on the beat. We feed our people beans and rice. But no one seems to see the light and the world.
All right, ladies and gentlemen, I'm sitting in Venice, California with Mr. Neil Brennan. You're not a doctor, are you? Sure. No, not yet. No, I'm not. I'll never be a doctor. <laughs> I'm not a doctor either. I have a PhD, and uh, I went by Chris Ryan PhD on Twitter for a while. And yeah. And uh, my friend Duncan Trussell, do you know yeah. him? Yeah. yeah. He started calling himself Duncan Trussell PhD. <laughs> He stole my fucking stole my PhD just to give me shit, and now he's Duncan Trussell, PhD, MD, I believe. Great, good I, I for think, him. Yeah, he's irreverent fuck. Um, so thanks for doing this, man. Yeah, of course, you man. Know, we've we've never met, and nope. uh, I feel like I know you though because I've watched three mics twice now. Oh, I really thank you very much. This I morning, really appreciate I, it. I watched it again, and. Uh, I don't want to blow a lot of smoke up your ass and make you don't uncomfortable. Don't you dare. I hate when people say that. I don't want to. It's like, no, just. I got some smoke. Yeah. And I got to blow well, it that's somewhere. Not, that's so bend not, over. Like, I will specifically call people to, quote, unquote, blow smoke up the, their ass. Like, or text them. Or, like, well, yeah. I try to make a point of, if I like something, letting the person know. Well, I think, I mean, I think the idea of blowing smoke up someone's ass is that it's false praise. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I don't do that. Yeah. You know, especially as a writer, you sort of, and I, as a comic as well, you get used to like brutally honest feedback, yeah. which is what you really want yeah, from that's your what true helps. friends. Yeah. yeah. Um, so if I didn't like it, I wouldn't say much about it. Yeah. I thought it was fantastic. Thank you. Really, the idea of. Uh, and I, I recommended it on this podcast before I even knew that we knew yeah. some of the same people and all that. But uh, the the it seems to me that the best stand-up comedy always includes those three elements. And by deconstructing it the way you did, it illuminated the essence of comedy in a way that I hadn't really seen before. I mean, it I'd sensed it. Mm -hmm. You know, Louis C.K. does stand-up. There's a lot yep. of self-revelation. There's some one-line zingers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's like the sort of woven yeah. bits, yeah. Um, but they're all in the same mix. So it's um, it's like it reminds me of this time I went to a wine shop in uh, in Girona, Spain, and um, it was a slow day, and the guy was cool, and he took out. Uh, we're talking about wine. I'm no wine expert, um, but he took out this kit that had little jar, little bottles. And each bottle had a pure example of one of the flavors and smells that exists in red wine. That's great. And so he poured a glass of wine. Yeah. He's like, okay, now smell that and taste it. Now smell this. And then smell it again. You're like, oh, yeah, yeah there's the prune. Yeah, yeah, there's now I thing. smell yeah, the yeah. prune. You know? yeah. And he did that. And it was so interesting to be able to disentangle these elements of it. Yeah. Um, did you go in? Did you do no. that? Well, that's what I, you as you say this, I'm like, that wasn't. No, it wasn't my intention. It was more a necessity thing. I had one-liners from Twitter, literally just like things I tweeted and was like, I didn't, I, it started when I wanted to like, I, when Twitter first started and I had a bunch of jokes, I was like, maybe I could do a two mic thing on stage. And then I'd listen to like the moth and storyteller shows right. and be like, right. I feel like, I wonder what I, you know, I feel like I could do well on that. Right. So, uh, so I just thought, like, let me do, let me just try, try it. And it, it, it was kind of one of those things where, like, the minute I tried it, I was like, oh, this works. Like, right. just like, oh, okay, this, def like, it wasn't even, it was embryonic for sure. I did it on this show called The Meltdown on Comedy Central. And, um, and everyone's like, you've done it before, right? And I was like, no, I've never done that before. Like, and, and it worked out really well. You so, did two mics in that one. Three. No, oh, I did you three. did the three. Yeah, I did right. the story. I mean, it, it was not even stories. It was like emotional, just like 
almost emotional one-liners in a weird way. Right. So, so yes, yeah, so it just worked out well, and it was not... Um, because people have said, like, what would you consider the fourth mic? Would that be crowd work? Would it be? And I'm like, I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't. I didn't even really think of it as like the elements of stand up. Right. I think you're probably right, but uh, I didn't. I never. I didn't approach it that way. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's, with these things, there's no right and wrong, right? It's, it was my experience of it was that it was. Also. I, I guess part of it also is that I knew when you went to the self-revelatory mic that that it was like I paid attention with a different kind of it. Somebody made the observation uh, that it, as an audience member, you know what's expected of you. Right, exactly. So you just go, oh, okay, now I don't really have to laugh. I can just be like a different, yeah. a, part, a different part of me listens to it. And you're not expecting to laugh. So yeah. You, so that there, you're when there are jokes, differently. yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. It's really, it's fun. and it got very, I mean, it's very well Yeah, yeah. Received, people have been right? very, like, yeah. I didn't get an Emmy, and people were like, are you upset? And I was like, no, like, I don't, A, I don't, it didn't, doesn't mean anything, yeah. I, you know, but, like, the people that have all said Jerry Seinfeld and Ellen DeGeneres and Louie and Dave, oh, and like, they, you know, like, you, all, yeah. yeah, like, yeah. all these people have said how much yeah, they liked it. So great. that is, yeah. like, that to me is like, oh, I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> like I don't care if people in Brentwood thought. But I'm are you good? See, that was I, the first time I watched it. I felt this a lot at the end. Yeah, you're on stage, people, standing ovation. Yeah, people yeah. are just so so much gratitude in the room and appreciation, and you're smiling. But a lot of what you've been talking about is your inability to really yeah receive that last that. shot is sort of me is like a bit of I mean I directed it so like yeah that last shot is a bit like it's. Uh, I'm smiling, but there's like a, some melancholy in my. It's a hard that last story about my dad is like a hard thing to tell, and then I do do a joke, and I so I'm not I'm like emotionally raw at that point. Right. Walking around, I'm more buoyant and all that stuff. Right. Like walking around, I'm probably more like the stand-up part than right. I am the middle part. I can be the middle part. But, like, what am I right now? Mm. You know what I mean? Like, right now I'm, like, yeah, like, fairly, you know, engaging, yeah. whatever right. you want to call it. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, people, like, reach, somebody reached out to me today on Instagram. I'm like, hey, I saw you. Have you found a happiness? <laughs> and uh, and uh, the good news and bad news is that I have found a level of happiness and contentment I haven't been able to find previously. The, the re part of the reason is, and this is what I consider the bad news, it's because Three Mics was successful. Mm. Meaning, the bad news is... It's still external. It, uh, yeah, it, uh, it works. That type of success... Mm -hmm. Mass approval, yeah, works. It, it's uh, it's. I'm embarrassed to even admit it. Like, and does it have to be? F like you said at one point, you said um, you were talking about authenticity. Or at least that, that's how I took it. And you said, you know, for good or bad, I can't hide. Yeah, this is who I am. Yeah, and there was. I mean, the pause, the timing was yeah. so powerful. In yeah, that. and I remember thinking, okay, there's a difference between hiding and not. Getting on stage, though, this isn't not yeah, hiding. Yeah, this yeah, is... yeah. Yes, this was me, because I, because I still, 
you know, when Chappelle hosted Saturday Night Live, I wrote for the show that week. I wrote when Aziz hosted. Like, I'll write if someone I know is there, the schedule works out. I'll, I'll, I will write. Did I consider writing for SNL the week Dave hosted Hiding? No. Did I'm helping Chris Rock with his hour? Do I consider mm-hmm. that hiding? No. Yeah. I consider that just like another thing. Right. Another thing I do, but I used to just do that and pretend I didn't want to do stand up or right. pretend I didn't want to perform. So you're like the Bernie Topin of comedy. Yes. I mean, in some ways, yeah. Like I can a hundred percent relate to that. It's funny when I meet musicians that are songwriters. They'll be like, so it's the same job. It's yeah. like it's producers and songwriters. I tend to like our kindred spirits because it is a similar thing but i can also you know it's i can also sing so to speak yeah um so that's the good news and the bad news the good news is i found a level of uh pleasure that i wasn't aware of before and and part of it is success like part of it is feeling like i did a great good slash great whatever you want to call it stand-up special like unassailably by my barometer that's i think that's very good yeah and the other thing was like writing for Night live i'd never written Night live so the voices in my head would say yeah you're a good you're good at sketch writing but you're good at single camera like Chappelle show was single camera like film mm-hmm. style you don't know how to write multicam because you've never been saying again. <laughs> which you want to talk about the stupidity of inner voices? Yeah, yeah. So yeah. then I was when I wrote the cruelty of inner I know, voices. of course. Yeah. Uh, so when I was able to write that week with Dave, I wrote a, gr- a very good sketch with where everyone's watching the election. It was the week Hillary got elected. Oh, yeah, the, I the saw Chris that Rock one. Yeah. and the, yeah, yeah. And they're like, "That's the worst thing." Yeah, that's exactly. Ever yeah, 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 yeah. So, so I was able to write that. So truly. The inner, my inner voices lost a ton of credibility in about an eight-week span. Hmm. And Does I, that shut them up? I now think of them, I told somebody I'd now think of them as uh, callers into a radio show. <laughs> like regular callers. <laughs> like that, like It's Jim from Bayonne. You're like, shut up, Jim. You've always been an idiot. <laughs> shut up. That's how I now think of the voice yeah. in my head, where I'm just like, you don't, hey, fellas. You were wrong. Right. You're wrong. It's like right. people that predict the stock of Jim Cramer, like, yeah. or or Stephen A. Smith in sports, like <laughs> guys that are these bombastic yeah. prognosticators, that's and funny. then have no credibility. So that's what I've gained. And then the other thing was like I, I've gained uh, after SNL. I went on vacation with my girlfriend at the time, and we were in like Bali, and I was doing fucking dick all like nothing and she's like you she's like i've never seen you this happen before and i was like oh i love not doing shit mm. like i love it's great so i focused more on not doing shit i'm i am busy and i do stuff but like i'm more focused on a first person pleasurable experience meaning not like i'm a libertine or something but uh, I've got women upstairs. No, like I like, but the you know, like my first friend Charlie game. Murphy died, and and my first thought was it's my first thought when when everybody does. Charlie died, Gary Shandling died about a year and a half ago, and I wasn't very close to Gary, but I knew him a little bit. And my first thought is like, I hope they had fun. Yeah, like when you see someone complete a fairly big cycle of life, you go like. 
I just feel like because I'm 43, like I see, I can not like I'm, I, I'm super aware of death, but it's the first time where you go like, oh, I can see the sort of curvature of life. Yeah, I can see like, good way to put it, I can yeah. see where this is headed. <laughs> and it ain't good. And it's not good. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. and, and before I turn into mud, because that's what happens. Yeah. Uh, I would like to get laid a lot. Yeah. I mean, it's not even get laid a lot. It's just have do shit I like do give shit do shit that gives me pleasure. Yeah. That gives that point blank. That's the only, I don't even believe in legacy. I don't believe in like I'm leaving a like I, I think even the most important people on earth are not that important. I think yeah. Shakespeare's great, but if he wasn't. If there was no Shakespeare, we'd be fine. Yeah. Um, I mean, again, sorry, Shakespeare. Um, and also, yeah, immortality. Yeah. I, I, I may build a show around this. A friend of mine said that, uh, you know, he wants to be remembered when he dies. And I said, so, Amir, that assumes that even in death, you're going to be insecure. Yeah. You're going to want, like, what are they saying about me? It's like. Motherfucker, you're mud. Who gives a shit? <laughs> yeah. What are they? My legacy. And then I said, and then it's like, well, what about my children? My 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 buddy goes, uh, spoiler alert, they die too. Yeah. So the I don't really believe in legacy. I don't. I just believe in. Uh. Uh. uh, uh randomness and. And like, what am I gonna do to, how can I just feel as good as possible minute to minute? Yeah. And that doesn't mean drugs, doesn't mean, it just means like, it, it can mean meditation, it can mean, it can mean tons of stuff, but it, I, I don't, but the idea of this outside in achievement right. orientation, I think is like, is faulty. And I, the, a, a big part of me, you know, because I did achieve some stuff and then was able to go, oh, it helped, but it also, it helped in that it kind of rendered it meaningless. Yeah. It's like a buddy of mine said the other day, like, you know, he goes, you know what the rap on you is? He goes, you're trying to fix something that's not broken. Like I'm constant. I was constantly trying to overcompensate and like, I'm going to do it and I'm going to get there and I'm going to show them and I'm going to da, 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 da. And then you do it and you change a couple minds. But mostly people either either ignored you or they like you. Yeah. And so I have some people like me, but then there's still some people that just ignore me who I just don't do it for. Yeah. And and let's say there is a, a, a there are I'll say between eight and twelve comics that I think are uh, more. Uh, they're on a different plane than me. They can write faster. Louis, Aziz, Burr, Dave, uh, Chris Rock, Jim Jeffries. Like, there's a. I'm sure I'm leaving people out, but uh, is it the productivity that you admire? It's the productivity and quality. I mean, I think I think everyone's quality goes down the higher the productivity. But I think like I, like there are these guys that, and I, it's like okay, I write. It takes me two years to write an hour. So. That's just the way, that's my motor. That's my, that's my metabolism. That's it. Does that have something to do with how much is going on in your life? I don't know what it has to do with. I just know that that's so what it is. So it's always been two years. Yeah, it's to pretty standard. So, yeah. so because those guys can do it in a year, John Mulaney, I would put on that list. Uh, do I need to feel shitty about myself 
all the time because yeah. there are eight guys. <laughs> you know what I mean? So does there yeah. is 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 therefore my life rendered uh, invalid or right. or less than or but also you're choosing an arbitrary matrix to measure by, which is productivity. Yes. You know, you could look at fearlessness. You can look at how acute they are as social observers. Yes. You know, I mean, Stanhope is a big uh, favorite. Uh, another of one, uh, me as well. And I don't know how productive he is, but he's I, extremely I think it's the productive. Fearlessness that, yes. that most and, but, people but Stanhope's admire. also extremely productive. Like I'm always very impressed. Yeah. And then if you add like his drinking to it, it's like <laughs> it's, it's he's carrying away, fucking off the charts. You know, you talked about the voices, the inner voices. Um, I had a woman on this podcast a couple of years ago who's a psychologist at Stanford, and she did research showing that schizophrenics from different cultures hear the voice they all have inner voices but the voices say different things and have different attitudes so is there a through line through all voices across all well they're all intrusive they they all um there's a a critical edge to them but in America, they're violent. They're, you know, you're horrible. Kill, kill yourself and, you know, kill someone else. And yeah. all, all this, it's very, very violent. In India, they tend to say things like, you should clean the house today. You know, you, might, you should uh, make, it's like make your what, bed. It's that they're like a barometer of the culture yeah. in a way. Right. That's exactly. really interesting. Exactly. So this idea that, you know, we all have inner voices and I, her thesis is that everyone hears inner voices. Yeah. It's just that some of us, they're intrusive enough that they feel alien and unwelcome and they become problematic. And we call those people schizophrenic or, you know, psychotic in some way. Whereas, I mean, I, I sort of had the opposite childhood that you did in terms of parents and and in a way, I might have the opposite problem in the sense that, you know, you described always sort of racing and trying to finish and I'll show you and yeah. like this motivation. I have very, very little motivation because I just felt loved as a kid and it was unconditional. So I never had to prove it. And so it's really hard for me to get anything done because I'm constantly sort of doing I, just hanging I out. Would, I would argue that... That's a superior life. <laughs> Meaning, well, I'm having fun with yeah, it, well, but I'm that, not that, getting dude, shit done. That's it. Yeah, that's yeah, it. Yeah, like that. I've started saying, if you're not happy, you're not smart. Mm, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. if, like he's really smart. Yeah, but if he's to what end? Right. It's like it's like comedians that are so funny they can't get a laugh from the audience. Like, right. you're they're so smart. Yeah. It's like, well, if you're doing comedy and you can't get a laugh then you're not that smart. I read this thing the other day. I think it was Joseph, you know, Joseph Campbell. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He said something like, uh, you know, we spend our whole lives climbing the ladder only to learn we'd placed it against the wrong wall. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. I've had long talks with very successful people and and they it's all the same conclusion, which is like, oh, this isn't going to, being number one, being the top is not going to. Yeah. It doesn't, It's 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 like a good... Uh, it's like Michael. There was a Michael Jordan article maybe two or three years ago, and he literally described himself as so competitive. He the, he said like I'm so competitive, it's kind of fucking ruined my life. Right. He's he's so competitive, and so famous that he'll be in like on vacation, and he can't leave the room because he's too famous. 
So he just sits up in his room doing Sudoku puzzles to get off this competitive edge. Yeah, yeah. It's And I would argue, and in fact I am arguing in this thing I'm working on now, uh, that Western civilization, the whole civilization is like that unbalanced personality we're talking about, where the people who become prominent and therefore are we're aspiring to be like them like Michael Jordan or Trump or you know whomever yep. generally they're deeply unhappy people who are um, chasing something that they'll never catch and so they become famous and they become rich and they become powerful and they become all these things and then we're like oh I want to be like that and the whole culture is telling you be like yeah. that and the whole thing is a scam yeah because the whole it's all the, the thing that's telling you to be like that is capitalism yeah it's the capitalist engine and of like competition of like you need more and hedonic treadmill and yes yeah. and like tradition of that it's like a winning sports team, it's all made up. Yeah. Like a sport, sports is, ma- leagues are made, it's all imaginary. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, yeah. the idea that- In countries, right? I mean- it's, it, You know how sports started? Totally... I didn't even know this till two months ago. Sports started to, as training for armies in between wars. Yeah. So- you get the primal or the uh, primal appeal of it, but ultimately it's like for people to be passionate about the L.A. Rams or the what I mean, yeah. like I do really enjoy basketball as its own. I like looking at it. I like the culture. I like the guys who play it. I like like I like it. I am susceptible to it. But I'm saying like I'm also very aware that it's fucking pitifully stupid yeah it's all arbitrary yeah it's all you ever watch louis bunuel films i haven't you know, do you know uh, i think a, i've watched maybe one he's a surrealist yeah he and dali were friends yeah and, uh he got kicked out of spain for most of his adult life but he he loved like flipping things and showing how arbitrary there's there's one i forget what it's called but there's a dinner party happening and they're all very you know fancy the bishop and the general and the you know, all those people and they're all sitting around this table and they're chatting and talking about politics and what's happening. And the camera pans out and you see that they're not eating anything. They're, they're, I think they're drinking wine. But as it pans out, you see they're all sitting on toilets. That's fine. They're all shitting. And then like yeah. one guy says, excuse me, and gets up and goes and next yeah. he cuts to him alone in a room eating shame, you know, full of shame, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, like scoffing down food. And it's like, yeah, what is this? It's yeah. all ridiculous. It's yeah. all just yeah. culture. So you're right about the, 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 I mean, look, I, I think in some ways there's the, what I'm saying of like the stupidity and, and uh, like I was, uh, satisfied by doing a great thing you know what i mean like so i that now having said that i think the satisfaction is artistic satisfaction of like having an idea and 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 uh completing it um and then there's the commercial aspect or like not even like i made a this much money i'm it's more just about like my peers respecting me. Yeah, it's not about money because you have yeah. the money from Chappelle Show yeah. and other stuff. I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. So the satisfaction you're feeling isn't financial. It, it's yeah. Art to, and also, when you said like feeling good as much as possible, people might hear that and think you're talking about some hedonistic, superficial feeling good. But there are very deep ways to feel. No, good. No, that's what I say. It could be meditation. I don't. It's not eating ice cream. It's not. It's right. it's it's. Uh, 
it is it's much more often meditation than it is ice cream i'll say that <laughs> i like meditation and ice cream. yeah i look i don't want to have to pick I, you hate to pick it's like a, asking your mother who you're yeah. asking mom who her favorite kid is but you, like you've done vipassana right yes yeah i was talking yesterday i was with uh, jake johansson yeah, yeah yeah and i mentioned that i was gonna talk to you today and he's like i want to talk to that guy about meditation he's done these long things yeah we and I did a ten-day vipassana retreat. It's uh, not. It's not a joke. No, it's no. There wasn't a lot of laughing. No. For me, it was like a ten-day uh, porn festival. Go on. I just sat there thinking about sex. Really? Yeah. I. I don't. I've done a lot of meditating over the years, and I find I'm always distracted by my body. Uh, my legs hurt, my knees hurt, my, yeah. my back hurts, my neck hurts. Uh, it, I mean, a thing that I did there was I did it standing up. Oh, really? I just started, I meditate standing up. Because huh. I find that, I find like putting, you know, sitting in the classic meditation pose, it like cuts my body. It, like, yeah. I lose circulation, but I also right. feel like it loses like the the energy flow. Right. And also, they said, hey, if you're getting sleepy, because it'd be like six in the morning. Yeah. And I would be sleepy, so I was like, yeah, I'll stand up. Yeah. Um, I didn't stand up. But, you know, I discovered years later is uh, sensory deprivation tanks. Yeah, those are great. Tanks. Yeah. And I feel like in those, I get into a meditative state very quickly with no discomfort. Yeah. You know, and I'm sure some people would say that's cheating, but I don't believe in this cheating thing. No, I don't think it's cheating. It's like cheating. you get there however you get there. Yeah. I was at Burning Man a couple of weeks ago, and my friend had air, air conditioning in his RV. And I'm yeah. like, fuck, I'm spending all day, every day in here. Yeah. You know? What did you do at night? Went out on the playa, you know. But, and there's just I mean, shit to do? Yeah, have you been there? No. Oh. Um, Moshe was there. You, yeah, you, you he's know there Moshe, all the time. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you guys did, yeah, we did a, a show together. Yeah, yeah. yeah, so Moshe and I are pretty good friends. Oh, great. Um, yeah, he's uh, Moshe. So I became, when, when this book, Sex at Dawn, came out, we were talking before I turned on the mic, um, I was living in Spain, and uh, I got an invitation from Duncan Trussell to be on his podcast. Yeah. I didn't know what a fucking podcast was, yeah. right? And, None of us did. And I was like, yeah, hey, it's a comic. I've never yeah, yeah. met a comic. That's yeah. cool. I'll meet this guy. And I've always admired, like, I grew up, my dad came home with George Carlin, yeah. class clown, when I was, yep. like, 12 or something. Yeah. And, um, Anyway, Duncan and I became friends, and he introduced me to Joe, and then I met Moshe and yep. Nikki Glazer yep. and Ari, Ari Shafir, yep. and it's like suddenly most of uh, Jake and like yep. most of my friends are comics now. Yep. It's, it's fantastic, and um, I feel an affinity with comics. And I've said this before, but uh, Moshe—I was on Moshe's show like three or four, yep. a bunch of times—and I said to him, "Like, how come you keep inviting me back?" And I'm glad; it's fun. Yep. I enjoy it. And he said, Chris, you're funny, but you're not too funny. Right. Like, you know, you, you there's, can work with there's you, but you're not going to run away. I would categorize you in the 20 minutes I've met you uh, and the book. Chris Rock told me a long time ago, him and, when him and Sandler auditioned for Saturday Night Live, they, didn't, they were like, probably came third and fourth in the audition in terms of just laughter. Hmm. And, but Lauren hired them. And Chris was like, why do you hire us? And Lauren said, original thought. Oh, right. That's it. And right. that's comedy. Like, comedy right. is like uh, original. It's just an original thought. It's, right. an, it's such an original thought that it, it evokes a physical response in somebody else. Right. Um, I mean, and a lot of comedy is that. So. It's, it's original, but 
easily recognizable. Yeah, 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 palatable. And, yeah, it and resonates. Yes. People are like, fuck, I thought, I mean, that's the best response I got from Sex at Dawn is so many people have written and said, you put into words what I've always felt. Yeah. Which is Is it more women than men? Uh, both. Both. The, the difference is... Because I've, I've heard women be uh, very defensive and angry sure. about the book. No, of course. Yeah. yeah. I'm, particularly women who haven't read it. Because there's, there's a lot of visceral reaction the yes. among people who think they know what it's about because uh -huh. they've heard people talk about it. And so a lot of them think it's a justification for cheating. Like, hey, I can't yes. help it, baby. You yeah, know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Read the book. Uh, and when you actually read it, it's not. It's like, hey, let's be honest about yeah. what kind of animal we are, and then we'll decide what to do. Yeah. Um, but um, the thing that I've, I've gotten from women who've read it that surprised me is I've dozens of emails from women who said, uh, I had to stop and masturbate every 10 pages. That's funny. And That's maybe the greatest compliment one can get. I think it is. <laughs> and it's, I don't get a lot of that on three mics, I'm going to be honest. Uh, yeah. That's well. the best uh, compliment I've ever gotten, I think. Me and two buddies of mine, were doing, we did a show in Vegas, and we got on the elevator afterward, and, um, and a woman got on the elevator and was like, can I just say something? I was at the show tonight, and I'm married, but I would fuck all of you guys. <laughs> and we're just like, this is great, because we, we don't have to do it, uh -huh. and we get the, the, uh, the juice yeah. of being attractive to, other, to yeah. the opposite sex. It's yeah. like, um, what, do you, what do you suggest, because, as I, because I don't disagree with you, what do you espouse in terms of going forward for relationships and marriage because like you said a lot of women don't read it and they're instantly because it's so much riding on this not being true yeah got a whole sort of civilization and industrial complex based on this not being true yeah what do you how do you get how do you get people on board how do you get people on board what do you were you where where were you and your wife when you wrote the book and where are you now well, we don't talk about our marriage publicly, okay? Um, because, and that's be we made a conscious decision Smart. about that because we're not advocating anything, right. and wherever, and also relationships change. We've yep. been together eighteen years, and yeah. where we were when we wrote the book, where we are now, yeah. you know, so different. Um, but when I the first media I did when the book first came out, Dan Savage had yep. me on his podcast, and his first question was, "So, you, you know, what's?" What's your marriage? What do you guys? Yeah. And I said, well, um, we, we decided we're not going to answer that question. Uh, but what I'll say is that our, our research informs our relationship. And he laughed and he said, that's going to be my answer from now on. Chris Ryan's research informs my relationship. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I was like, yeah. So, uh, you know, we're not obviously conventional, yeah. you know. Um, she's a psychiatrist. She's from Africa. She's, we were both uh, around 40 when we got together. Right. We'd been around. She'd been yeah. divorced. You know. so, uh, but I think as far as espousing, we don't really espouse anything in the book other than get this shit out on the table and right. talk about it. Yeah. And so a lot of the feedback we've gotten is 
you know, hey, you know, our relationship is so much better because your book gave us a reason and an excuse to talk about these things that had been um, sort of simmering for a long time, but had never, there was never a right time to talk. And also there's all this judgment, like, yeah. baby, I'm kind of feeling attracted yeah, to other yeah, people. Yeah. And you know, so then, and so it, it gives people um, like an arena where they can talk about these things in it's a way that It's what they call disruptive. It's pretty disruptive. Yeah, it's yeah. disruptive and, yeah. and kind of dangerous in that it it's upsetting. Well, but it's only upsetting, I it's think. It's upsetting if you're entrenched. It's upsetting if, if, if you want to false, believe it's not true. Yeah. If you're in a fucking false relationship, yeah. right? And also, it's, it, I think it's, but it's more sort of assuaging than upsetting for a, in a lot of ways because what it's saying to people is the fact that you're attracted to someone other than your spouse does not mean there's anything wrong yeah. with your relationship or you or your spouse. So there's a, there's a safe arena to say, oh, oh, I'm, I'm attracted to other people because I'm a primate who you know, evolved in this way, as are you. So let's start with that and then decide what to do, if anything. Yeah. And a lot of people don't do it. I mean, it's not like, hey, everyone should go to orgies every weekend. Right. You know? Some people do, some people right. don't. But yeah, I, to me, it's like, talk. I, I think people are on a spectrum of how sort of monogamous they are by nature. Yeah. And so I think what the only thing I espouse is talk about this if you can at the beginning of your relationship, which to me, it's like right up there with do you want to have kids or not? Yeah. Would you rather travel or have a big house? Yeah. You know, like those sorts of basic what kind of life do you want to live questions? You know? Yeah. And then you won't find yourself. I mean, you said in your stand up thing, like you can spend 10 years doing something thing. that's false yeah you know and so this is just a way to avoid wasting that time yeah. and that heartache and and imposing that trauma on kids who are born out of a union that isn't based on a real understanding you know? yeah because i think that some people men and women some people are like look by nature i'm not monogamous i'm just not yeah and but that doesn't mean I can't be totally intimate and totally like you are my partner in life. Yeah. I just need to fuck someone else occasionally. Yeah. And people who are that way get it. People who aren't that way will never get it. And I, I, but I, I think in the last six months, I've met more women that are in open things than I've ever met. Yeah. And, um, and when, I say, when I say that, I mean I've met two. <laughs> Uh, um, uh, but that's more that's a new record it's involved it's it, it almost feels like sexual atheism yeah do you know what I mean yeah, it feels yeah. like okay hey here's I didn't really and it's it's ironic I think it it's very tied to atheism because it's most of that shit probably came from the church yeah well it's certainly tied in in the sense that I mean, the reason I, I'm very sympathetic with women who are hostile toward the message yeah. of the book, because the fact is that women have been getting burned at the stake and stoned to death and, you know, yes. cast out yeah. into the street yeah, yeah. for millennia for daring to have any sexual agency at all. Mm -hmm. Right. And they are still in most of the world incredibly vulnerable women are killed for the crime of having been raped mm -hmm. right so 
you know, understanding that that is the world we live in, and even in this society, you know, we know all the stats, women make less to money. To say nothing of sexual, uh, uh, I'm sorry, of uh, genital mutilation. Right, sure, yeah. yeah. Um, so, you know, given that that's the world we live in, and they, women are, are working with an incredible vulnerability, the one thing that they have to sort of bargain with is fidelity and sexual access, right? So message like this comes along and, and sort of discounts the value of that, I understand why they'd be hostile and, and upset about it. And I'm, yeah. I'm with them. So, you know, the world that we're describing in this book of hunter-gatherers is a world in which women had access to everything they needed directly at all times without going through a man. So they could afford to fuck around because it didn't cost them anything. Yeah. You know, so it's a very different kind of social context um yeah i don't know was there a question I no was yeah i was we well, what i was going to get to is the it it's tied into oh the atheism yeah religion, the most right, right. most relationships i know and a, and a friend of mine pointed it out is i have a desire you meet my desire i have pleasure because of that I love you. <laughs> right? Yeah. I it happens so consistently yeah. with you that I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to give you this you've elicited this feeling which by the way didn't exist before 100 years ago but whatever that's a whole other thing. The, the troubadours and Yes, all exactly. That. Yeah. Like this romantic love thing. It's like so this just started. My oh, interesting. Yeah. Uh, maybe it's the machines. Uh, maybe it's the industrial revolution that unleashed love, whatever romantic love, whatever. So um and and he and his wife have gone to a different thing of like super duper honesty mm. and um no deal breakers and uh and what he calls a flower gardener relationship meaning you are you're you're going to grow however you're going to grow and um my job is just to water you Encourage your growth in any direction. Right. That is a life worth living for you, and I want right. you to have a life worth living for you. No, I'm not going to try to manipulate you and shame you into doing shit that I like. Right. And I see that as like, man, I I'm single, and I see that as like, man, I fucking would love that, but I've never had it. Yeah. I've never had it in a way that like, I the you know. I always say to, I was talking to another friend of mine and I was saying like my new credo in relationships is no notes, hmm. no notes. I used to, I've yelled at girlfriends in the past, like I'm moral, I'm decent, I'm, uh, I'm smart, all the, and then there's like more, but like this idea that the constant uh, second guessing or worrying or questioning or, or, or being upset about a behavior that I had for 20 years before I met you and now somehow it's keeping your feelings about yourself are hanging in the balance. Right. Like, and I yell this at an ex, get your self-esteem away from me. <laughs> like, I don't want, it's got nothing yeah. to do with me. Well, it ties into the earlier t conversation. We're talking about external validation. Yes. You are her external yes. validation now. And yes. You know, and often yeah. they are mine and we're that's in certain it. ways yeah. like and and that's like it 
the flower gardener thing, and I said this to my friend, I was like, so you and your wife are like free-floating particles, and you just hope. And I've had therapists show me the Venn diagram, and it's like, you're here, they're here, and where you intersect is the relationship. Mm. And what I think people think it should be is like a perfect whole, yeah. but it should look like a figure eight, really. Yeah. <clears throat> um, but I don't know yeah. what how to get there. I feel like this is the sexual version of that, meaning like, hey... You're gonna go out and you're gonna do whatever, do whatever you want to do. I and and it almost it almost fosters a level of independence that renders the relationship meaningless. Meaning, like I had a girlfriend one time go like, you don't have to hang out with me and my friends. Hang out with you and if I'll see you later and da, da, da. and my thought was if I don't hang out with you. With your friends, I'm never going to hang out with you. Like, if I mm. stop doing one thing, I'll stop doing all of it because I shouldn't have been in a relationship with her. But, right. like, right. but that's what I wonder about. It's like, how the fuck do you keep that afloat that every time you get home, you don't know if the person is going to meet you there? You know what I mean? Emotionally. You well, just, you, I guess you hope. I guess that's all you can ever hope for. I guess that's what a relationship is. It's right. a constant trust exercise. Yeah, see, the, I think the, the fallacy to a lot of the thinking around this is that conventional relationships are safer. So right. people say, well, if she fucks someone else, I'll lose yeah. her. She might fall in love. Dude, she might fall in love anyway. Yeah. You know? Like, no, yeah, that's she, exactly. If you yes. let her out of the house, she might fall in love. I had this conversation last night with somebody where I said, people, all like 99% of relationships fail, right? Right. But, and I'm not talking about marriage, half of marriages fail, but 99% of all just romantic relationships together, fail. Yeah, yeah like yeah. they just fail. But people only try it one way. Yeah. And it's like, if you're going to get into a car accident anyway, just drive with your feet. Do something <laughs> well, what different. I, what I've said, I don't know if it's in the book or in interviews, is like, if 50% of the airplanes fell out of the yeah. sky, we'd redesign airplanes. Yes, right? exactly. But we're not. So yeah. marriage, it works. Right. Well, it doesn't, It doesn't, really. though. Yeah. And how many of the ones that stay aloft are shouldn't, fucking miserable? Exactly. Yeah, they shouldn't know? be. Yeah, they're yeah. like flying 10 feet above the ground. So I was watching your thing this morning with a friend, and and she, she's been through... Uh, a very tough time. Her husband died of ALS a uh -huh. year and a half ago, and, and she's very focused on facing the difficult truths. Yeah. And that's in her life, she's like, don't turn away from. Yeah. And she was very moved by Three Mics because she it resonated with her. Yeah. She's like, this guy would rather, when you, the thing about your father. Yeah. And, um, I don't think it's a spoiler thing, no. right? But, you know, your, your father admitted to you that he didn't love his kids. Yeah. And that to you was worth more than, than the any, will and yeah, all the yeah, stuff, yeah. right? And she was like, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. That guy would rather have the truth than anything else. Yeah. It's all about authenticity. And I think that that's the same kind of uh, approach that we need to bring to our relationships because... What your friend is saying is, I would rather she be happy with someone else than miserable with me. Yeah. Because I love her yeah. more than myself. Yeah. Right? But also, there's an acknowledgement that relationships are these um, organic beings. 
like our children. They exist. They're not, you can't make your child be the way you want. It's born. It's going to be whoever the fuck it is, right? Yeah. So all you can do is like your friend, you water it, you protect it, you yeah. nurture it until it's on its own. And then you wish it luck and, you know, hopefully it works out. But relationships, we think we can control, like we're like helicopter parenting our relationships. Yeah. And we end up smothering them. Yeah. So I, I'm of the belief, and I've always felt this way, that I'm a woman who is feels that she's on a leash, at least the kind of woman I'm attracted to, is going to want to get off the fucking leash. Yeah. Uh, just like me. If, if I'm trapped in a room, I'm looking for a way out. If the door's wide open and I know I can leave whenever I want, I'm yeah. much more comfortable. So I kind of feel like there's this inverse effect. How do you deal with insecurity? How do you deal with the insecurity of like, uh, I mean, if, if it's so stupid that I think of as a man, I think of a woman's sexuality as a finite resource. Yeah. Even, even in that I hear, I didn't even realize that till I heard myself ask it. Yeah. Um, well that's, that's the, see, again, that gets back to what I said earlier about how we look at the past, the distant past through the prism of the present, right? Yeah. And in the present, we live in a scarcity-based world. It's a zero-sum world. If yeah. you get more, I get less, right? Yeah. And uh, that's not the world that we evolved in. We evolved in a world of uh, sharing and egalitarianism, yeah. and there was enough. So like I talked about the woman who wants to have a baby who's smart and funny and good-looking, so she's fucking all these guys. Everybody's getting laid, yeah. right? Nobody's really thinking whose baby is who. Yeah. And, um, so yeah, it's, it's, as far as insecurity goes, I think that's what's so interesting about facing the demons in relationships. And the funny, it, the, the paradox of course, is that woman sexuality is incredibly, it's pretty infinite in terms of like she's safe the equipment and yeah, yeah like the equipment and yeah. the orgasms and the stuff that yeah. i yeah. as a someone who likes to have sex with women the thing i'm looking for right. which is good equipment <laughs> uh no but like the ability of orgasms well enjoy yourself yeah well lubricated good equipment yeah uh yeah and whereas we are the finite resource yeah um definitely uh but yeah that's the 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 sadness of of uh of this fucking brainwashing. Yeah. Like how long, cause I grew up Catholic church and 12 years of Catholic school and yeah. fuck man, it's still, that's a lot of the inner voice. Like when you mentioned that thing about the consistency of, of, of uh, schizophrenic voices across cultures, like yeah. that's the first thing I thought was like, church is right there. Yeah. Fucking right there. Well, you think about I mean, I'm writing this thing now, a book called Civilized to Death, and it's sort of an expansion of Great. some of the themes. And, and the the epigraph at the moment, I don't know if it'll make it through editing, but it's Louis C.K., uh, where his bit where he's on the airplane and there's Wi-Fi. And, yeah, yeah. You know, these days everything's amazing. Nobody's happy. Yeah. That's the yeah, first yeah. thing you read. And so the, the book is exploring, well, first of all, is everything amazing? What do we mean by amazing? Yeah, yeah. And who's yeah. benefiting? And, you know. Yeah. And... It, why aren't people happy? And um, now I lost my train of thought. Where were you? you were saying I was saying about uh, the the church and the brainwashing. Oh, oh, right. Original sin. Yes. So original sin is so insidious because you're born in debt. 
right? Yeah. And you, and you spend your whole life trying to dig your yeah, way out of that hole. That's what Christopher Hitchens calls the celestial North Korea. <laughs> yeah, good, good. Um, and I see our misunderstanding of prehistory and of human nature as the same thing just repackaged in scientific terms. So, you know, everyone has heard one of the most famous sentences in the English language is, life before the state was solitary, poor, nasty, brutish, and short. short yes. Thomas Hobbes, uh, Thomas Hobbes, 1651. Sent it, the, uh, literally sent the quote the other day to a friend of mine because we were, I was like, his outlook is so bleak. <laughs> and I was like, your outlook is so fucking bleak. You are the Thomas Hobbes of our time. <laughs> yeah. Thomas Hobbes was an interesting cat. Yeah. His, when he was born, the Spanish Armada was uh, off the coast of England everyone was going crazy they're about to be invaded and he literally said my mother had two had twins when i was born myself and fear that's funny you know and then he just yeah and and so his he, mother was jewish okay <laughs> I don't, i'm not even jewish and i feel like that's a good joke <laughs> that's a good joke uh yeah so this idea so it turns out that life before the state was not solitary not poor not nasty not british and not short and this is, like I said earlier, with the sexual... How did that come across? Is that propaganda? Is that state promoting itself? Yeah, I, I think basically what it is, is every society is self-aggrandizing and self-justifying, right. including ours. And yeah. so you have this, this notion that things are so much better now than they used to be. It's all this, this myth of progress, yeah. right? Where everything's getting better. We've almost cured cancer. Yeah. We've almost done this. And we are just around the corner. And, you know, everything, you look around, you got your cell phone and the computer and everything. All these things were supposed to give us so much more free time. Yeah. People are working longer hours yeah, than yeah, ever. Yeah. And, you know. yeah. So it's all the scam that we talked about earlier. Run faster, you'll get there. Yeah. And then you're like, wait, I'm on a wheel. I'm not getting yeah. anywhere. So who's benefiting from the spinning wheel, you know? Um, so I, what I see is that original sin and the sort of what I call the neo-Hobbesian worldview are the same thing. They're saying you are horrible. The only thing that's keeping you from acting on your deepest, darkest impulses is Jesus. Yeah. And, you know, this yeah. whatever pay your money here. Well, no, I always make the joke and it, uh, I don't think it'll ever work as a stand-up joke, but it's like, what a funny coincidence that the the laws of the church are almost identical to the laws of the state yeah like i wonder if they were in somehow uh involved with each other yeah when these things it's like the ten commandments are basically like the ten laws yeah. of society uh and it, you you're right that i mean i've never considered that thing of it not being nasty british and short what's the and that's kind of what your books are about yeah that's what the the next one is really getting into that but in sex at dawn we talk about that there's a section in the middle that's not about sex it's about um social relationships and other aspects of hunter-gatherer life yeah because you know our species has been around be now there's a new discovery in in morocco that may change this but it appears that we've existed as anatomically modern humans for about 200,000 years. Okay. So looking like us, yeah, right? Yeah. Same brain, yep. actually larger brain capacity than ours. Our brain capacity has shrunk by about 10%. So Was that because of agriculture? Agriculture, yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, so people like us, the that's, same intelligence. That still surprises me, that agriculture thing. Meaning that that the what we're talking about is, and maybe your listeners know, but when agriculture 
took over when it became an agrarian society <clears throat> human beings shrunk because there was less dramatically yeah there shrunk was shrunk dramatically lived uh fewer years yeah more warfare more blunt trauma you know you can see in the skeletons more famine yeah. quality of life plummeted with agriculture and yet the propaganda the narrative that we've all received is that it's so much better yeah in talking about size if you look at the Fertile Crescent, which is the first place where there's evidence of agriculture, um, the average... Which is a misnomer. I mean, you know what I mean? Like, well, the fertile it was fertile then. It was fertile for agriculture, but it's not fertile. It's, agriculture in and of itself isn't that fertile, based on what you're saying. Based on the yeah. shrinking and the quality of life. Oh, yeah, yeah. It was fertile for plant life, but that doesn't, that's not that great a, that's not a yeah. great a, a source. Yeah, language is tricky, to say the least. Yeah, yeah. Um, the average man before agriculture was about 5'10". Yeah. And within 500 years, you know, after... Which is nothing evolutionarily. 500 years. You oh, know what I mean? yeah, no, yeah, exactly. It's just the transition. So within, you know, after the, the advent of agriculture, the average man was 5'2". Fucking crazy. Yeah. If you, even now, you go to Europe, you look at, uh, go to these old uh, museums, a uh, suit of armor for a knight. They're tiny. Yeah. They were little dudes. Yeah. I mean, the, your average, you know, American or, or Dutch dude would be like knocking them over like a giant. Yeah. It's crazy. But anyway, like, uh, and people listening to this have heard me rant about this before, but as in a very concrete example of this, you know, um, everybody thinks in prehistory an old, at 35 or 40, you were old, right? That's not true. Yeah. Our ancestors lived into their 70s. Yeah. It's a trick with math. Yeah. A lot of infants died. Yeah, exactly. But we don't count abortions. Yeah. In our yeah, exactly. you know, longevity stats, yeah. and it's the same thing. Yeah. But because it makes people feel good, it just goes out into the culture. Yeah. It just washes around. And it's just factually not yeah. true. But no, there's no motivation yeah. to correct it because you're a fucking party pooper. Yeah. Well, it's the, well, it's a weird thing of like the lies that societies tell themselves. It's like, why are we the greatest nation on earth again? Like, why? <laughs> But like based on yeah. what and We're like defending freedom. and democracy is the greatest, all that shit. And it's like, well, it's 200 years old. Let's w give it a second. Well, and also, like, what are the costs? Exactly. You know, we don't talk about the costs of all these things. You know, oh, we've got iPhones and we've got this. And yeah. Yeah. And what did it cost us? Uh, yeah. Centuries of slavery. Yeah. You know, the eradication of hundreds of millions of uh, yeah. native people, you know, like two world wars. Yeah. Like, let's let's get honest about this shit. But anyway, that's that's all. How many that's a downer, uh, how man. many books did you sell of sex at dawn? Yeah. I don't know. It's probably 300 to 350,000 in that's the correct. U.S. And, and how about it's internationally? In Twenty languages. Great. So I don't know volumes. Does it mean anything to you? See it in another language? No. I know. I mean, no. I ask because I know it probably doesn't. I, yeah. I ask as someone who people ask me those questions, and I'm always I'm disappointed in how little it means to me. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, you yeah, think it's one of yeah. those things, like, if that, then. Yeah. That's the other thing is I've stopped 
I've stopped having conditional happiness. I'm, I've stopped, or I focused on not having my happiness be based on if I do this, right. then I'll be happy thing. And see, that, I mean, this is the theme of the whole conversation we're having, really, because it's sort of from different angles. I mean, we're talking about sexual relationships, we're talking about work, we're talking about success, all this stuff. It's all the same because if your sense of self-worth is internally located, yeah, then everything changes. It's then you're no longer threatened by her having other yeah. friends who happen to be men. Yeah. You're no longer worried about if your special is wins an Emmy or doesn't. Yeah. Well, it goes to that thing of like yeah, Mulaney and and Dimitri Martin and Berbigli. There are I'm adding people to the list. Uh, of oh, guys of that your... can write faster than me. <laughs> it's like, okay, so do I quit? Uh, it's the same thing sexually. Yeah. It's like, yeah. His, if his, this guy's his inch, dick is, is an bigger. inch bigger yeah. than mine, what's uh, it So do I? So do I retire? Yeah. Do I? <laughs> do I ask the woman like, do I have the biggest? You know what yeah. I mean? Like, yeah. that's what you're doing is you're cornering people into these things of like. Like, and I was cornering myself. Like, if you don't write the fastest, then you're not valid. And it's like, I write the 17th fastest. Right. Uh, okay. Well, and also you've been around the track enough times now to know that even if through, you know, caffeine and Red Bull or whatever, you were, you got to the point where you were writing faster than anyone, it, it still wouldn't scratch the itch. That's A. That's A. I would just find it another level of right. like of yeah. of like well Woody Allen yeah so right it's 35 movies right 10 of them are some of the greatest of all time like what are you even yeah. what are you doing right. like and and then to say nothing of the people that I work with who I've seen like Dave or Chris or you know people that it's like where I throw a fastball and they clock it at 98, and they throw, throw a fastball, and they clock it at 110 miles an hour. And right. it's like, okay, well, yeah, I, again, do I retire? Do I, you know, and, and, and that is the thing of, like, I'm the dealing with the women that are, that are uh, in open relationships. I don't think about their other people at all, meaning it's like, it's... It's it's there's a longer explanation than that, but like, I it doesn't. I'm not. I find myself not insecure. I find myself like, oh, this is in, this is reasonable. And what it comes down to is our connection. Right. And if she wants to have right. another connection, people have different kinds of connections. Yeah. You know, like exactly. Like I have different types of friendships. Right. People satisfy different parts of myself, and that's the 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 acceptance of that. Of going like I'm not everything. Yeah, I'm not going to be everything. I can be a lot yeah. to, right. to I can be a lot in short doses. Well, and there's there's power in that humility, right? And that's right. You know, you there's freedom. I'd say there's as much freedom as there is power, if not more yeah. freedom than power. Well, there's certainly freedom, and and by power, what I mean is that if you evolve to a point where you are able to love someone with that sort of unconditional, no strings attached, the way you described your friend's marriage. Yeah. That's a very unusual person who can yeah. do that. 
And when you become that person, and you become that person because you're working through your own shit, you're not doing it in order to have power or whatever, but if you become that person, you're such an unusual person, person that now you're going to be extremely attractive to a certain kind of woman, right. which probably is the kind of woman that you would want to be attractive yeah. to. And so you move into this realm where the sort of competitiveness and the insecurities that seem so essential in other realms just all disappear. Right. And and so the it's like the questions, like people often, I traveled a lot in my 20s and 30s and people write to me like, dude, you know, I want to go. Where should I go? What should I do? How should I prepare? It's like, just fucking go, yeah. man. Because once you, you're in Bangkok, then you're looking at things from a perspective that you can't possibly imagine from wherever the fuck you are right yeah. now. And so the thing to do is pack light, go to fucking Bangkok, and then figure it out. Yeah. And I feel like that with relationships, too. It's like you get there, and then the options are not the ones you would have anticipated from your perspective before. Yeah. I don't know if that's making and any no, sense. And it's no, I think what you're talking about is an emotional option. Like, I wouldn't have thought that... I wouldn't be jealous. Right, exactly. Or, or like the dick thing. Like yeah. You get to a point where you're like, oh, it actually really is a non-issue. It's, not, it's, it's, it, it's, it's nothing. It, I've, I've heard more women complain about too big than too small. And you know what they hate the worst? Guys who are too worried about it. Exactly. exactly. Like that insecurity is yeah. so fucking unattractive yeah. that it's like the best thing. It's like everything. I mean, I find this in everything. Like the... You know the the whole idea that dogs are attracted to fear, uh, by uh, angry at uh, aggressive dogs. They smell fear, right? Right. I feel like life is that way. We have causality backwards. We think that if we're successful, we'll, we'll be happy. But the fact right. is, if you're happy, you'll be successful. Yeah. If you're happy, you are successful. That's it. Yeah. You already yeah. are. So like that's the only, and that's the that's. It's that counter message thing. Yeah. Because there's not a lot of money in unconditional happiness. <laughs> Tell me about it. You man. know what I mean? There's not meaning. I'm not talking about. I'm talking about, yeah, you can't. You're the slowest writer in the world because yeah. you're too fucking every pleased. Every 10 years. Yeah, every deal drops something. Do you know Joe Rogan? Yeah. So last time I was on his show, he said to me, he said, you know, you're, what did he, how did he phrase it? It's right at the beginning. He said, like, you're the most relaxed smart person i know and then you're guess what you're the smartest <laughs> that's, that's what, what i, I would that's say. what i should have said yeah <laughs> that means i'm the smartest Joe. yeah yeah because it's like you know he has all these people on and they're all like doing a show and they're doing another book and they've got this and that i've been very busy yeah and i find it very stressful yeah. and very nerve-wracking and the other thing about being very busy is I can't remember shit that happened. Yeah. I don't I don't even experience it. I'm like right. I need I just need to like I like I've said I saw a friend of mine last night and I was like, did I tell you about that? And and they were like, no. And I was like, too many things are happening to me right. to even appreciate them. I was you know Dan Savage. Yep. You know, he's, so he and I became friends after yeah. this book came out. He was super helpful in getting the word out and all that. And so we've done events together and whatever. So I was in New York with him. Uh, we did a, a thing at the Brooklyn Book Festival in this big church. And, yeah. And then we went and had dinner with 
Andrew Sullivan, yep. who was Christopher Hitchens' yep. good friend. And then Andrew took us to a bear bar in the West Village, yep. the first bear bar I'd ever been to. And I'm pissing next, you know, between Andrew Sullivan and Dan Savage. And right. I'm like, this is wasted on me, you know? Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. I'm straight. Um, and then Dan and I went back to this hotel where I was staying, and there's this beautiful view from the roof. And, and I was like, I said, Dan, like, every day of your life must be like this. And he's like, oh, yeah, man, it's just, you know, like, tomorrow I'm going to D.C. and then I'm going in. And I was like, don't you, to me, this feels like every meal is at some, like, Michelin, you know, super elaborate and I just want beans and rice for a while. I, I feel like I, uh, there's yeah, no time or, to digest yeah. this. No, yeah, there is like a, there is a, there is like a, uh, maybe other people, I think people experience stuff differently. I just know for me, when people go, why don't you do it on the TV show? Like Chappelle show. It's like, cause it's fucking hard. Right. And it's not fun. It's fun. Here's what's fun. And the thing that, Maybe Dan likes the the swirl. I have friends that like the swirl, that right. like the constant. It makes them feel. It, I think it keeps them from acknowledging stuff. I think that's the downside. He was raised Catholic, too. Yeah, and yeah. the upside is it makes you feel vital all the time. It makes you feel right. important all the time. Right. Um, I personally find it, like I said, I don't want cortisol going through my veins at all yeah. times. But the thing mm. that I like about doing a show or is the connection that's what i like about i like the connection the relationship with, yes with the, the other dave, with dave or yeah, the yeah. if i'm working if i'm writing with dave or if i'm writing when i did when i did the Saturday Night live my real like brotherly love connections dave colin jost michael che um steve higgins and Lauren. Yeah. So those are the guys that like, and Chris and Brian Tucker. That's, I think that's it. And then, and then, no, and that's not else. it. Lindsay Shookus, uh, uh, Aaron uh, Doyle, uh, great, all the girls in the town. None of these people listen to my podcast. Fine. They're not going to be say, No, I'm not doing it for them. I'm doing it for, those are the things, Grace, <laughs> um, uh, Rebecca, uh, like those are the things. Those are the pe- uh, D- Danny. Yeah, uh, those are the people that. That's what I love about it. So yeah, I if I can have a connection that. like that, it's community. Uh, yeah, like that means a lot to me. Do yeah. I need that every day, all the time? No, I don't. I, because in the week, it's more uh, potent. I think if if you get it in a week. It's very potent. I, again, that's just my experience. So, yeah. um, I think that you know there are very few professional situations that I am attracted to. I haven't had a job since the early '90s. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, real, like a job where you yeah, show yeah. up and you have yeah. a boss and all that. Yeah, yeah, I know, um, but yeah, I know what you mean. Uh, but I do. I, sometimes I miss a sense of community, like because yeah. I'm always doing my shit alone. And now with the podcast, it's cool that I get to hang out yeah. with interesting people. But um, I do like the first time I met Moshe, he was saying something. He was in a he was there was someone else there who knew about TV, and they're like, "Oh, are you in the room?" And he's like, "Yeah, I'm in the room." I'm like, what room is he talking about? The yeah, writers' yeah. room. And like, oh, and, and I had this image of like half a dozen people sitting around making each other laugh and. 
like what a cool yeah and I know there's a lot of pressure I know there's downsides yeah. but what a like I love that um, the chemistry yeah. of people who make each other laugh yeah. and make each other better and sharper yeah. and I'm you know that's something I I, uh, I miss in my own life yeah it's, it's people like I say the people that can hit the ball back right you know like right. if I hit the ball yeah you know they know how to they can hit it back just it. as yeah. hard and or harder or yeah in a way that's help you know that that builds on the thing but so yeah at the risk of boring you yeah I because um, I know you've probably talked about this more than you want to but I think one of the best comedy sketches I've ever seen was the Clayton Bixby yeah, yeah. thing I, can, can I, you, I agree can you talk about like how that? Uh, yeah, Dave's fa grandfather was a um, was light skinned, uh, blind. No guy. kidding. Seriously? Yeah. yeah. And oh, he was that's so, on. That's crazy. When Martin Luther King got shot, he was on a bus, and he heard a bunch of black dudes like surrounding a white guy, going like, "The fuck you doing on this bus, cracker?" And then realized that they were talking to him. That, uh, you're kidding no. me. That's yeah, yeah. unbelievable. Yeah. yeah. So it actually was born I mean, of the born out of Yeah, it's born out of... Well, it's not born out of the... It's born out of the... Uh, it's born out of that thing, and then if that guy was a white supremacist. Yeah. Um, which is Dave... That's completely Dave's idea. All I can say that I... Not all I can say. I can say that I... Uh, have a lot of good jokes in it and have a lot of good but Dave's complete idea and Dave can do a thing where he can you know in the he can just fucking talk extemporaneously he did it with Rick James too where he's just like what the fuck are you doing <laughs> like how the fuck are you doing this and so the speeches yeah I literally didn't say yeah. a word to him yeah have you ever met his parents yeah I met his dad his dad was like a black version of my dad. It was it like really? they've similar shaped heads, mm. both uh, pontificators. I don't know if he was a narcissist. He wasn't an alcoholic. I don't you know. I don't know any of the downsides of his dad. I just know I met his dad once, and uh, and he was a very he was a like he was professorial. Yeah, he was his he, dad he was, was the first. Yeah, right? his dad was the first black student at Brown University. Uh, um, so and his mom. His like, mom is the a, first African American. Yeah, yeah like yeah, at uh, certain specific, Yeah, at uh, in Ohio. at Hampton University or not Hampton. Uh, it's in that town. It's in that region of Ohio. I don't uh, think it's Oberlin, uh, but it's around there. So yeah, right. Dave is from uh, hardcore brains, like like yeah. really world class brains. So you're one. I I could talk all day. I don't want to take up your yeah. time, but. Um, one thing that I was thinking about watching your your special that there's a something similar in my experience. You are a decidedly white dude. Yeah, your Irish background, yeah. as am I, uh, who spent a lot of time in Black American culture. Yes, and sort of finding humor and and interest. Yeah, it's like uh, any. I think it's like I don't. Here's what I'll say. Black people have always been nice to me. Yeah. Literally, like, uh, 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 
a, a level of distinction, you know, like a, 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 just a, a, like market, not markedly nicer than white people, but they're just black people are in generally speaking nicer to me than than any other group of people. They're just fucking fun. They're More inclusive, relaxed, yeah. relaxed funny, yeah. uh, um, warm. And uh, again, this is generally speaking. So uh, I never, it doesn't seem, what I, what people see as uh, extraordinary, I don't see it as like, I'm, uh, I'm not racist. I'm like, I see beyond, it's like, I'm literally, this is like a capitalist thing of just like, they're nice. I don't fucking know. <laughs> like, they're nice and funny. It's all the same shit. Yeah, yeah. They're nice, funny. Yeah. They're, I like the, like, the underdog thing is cool. I feel like I'm an under. Like, I, I, there's a, a buddy of mine said after three mics, he goes, black people fuck with you because of that weighted vest thing. Mm. Like, the reason black people like you is because being black is, feels like you're wearing a weighted vest. Yeah. I don't know if that's true or not, but that's what somebody said. So, so. Well, and you made the connection, right? Where you're like, you know, you just don't, don't give, give a fuck. A fuck. Yeah. And, and, like, they, and can't they can't give a fuck yeah, either. They right. can't give a fuck. Publicly. Yeah. Angry black guy. That was yeah. such a good line. Yeah, yeah. But also, yeah. Ang- the, other, the, other, yeah. the other move is anger. Right. And you can't be angry in, yeah. as a black person. Yeah. I mean, you can't. You are. Because they're already, the whites are already scared of you. Yes. You show so anger. So you can't then, be, yeah. that, like, I've had Dave tell me, and multiple people tell me, black people, that they physically move slower around white people. Mm. Physically move slower. Have to change their entire thing to be yeah. around white people. So, like, um, so, uh, yeah, the, the thing about me being friendly with black people or, or being, I, I don't, it's not a conscious choice. You've been to Africa? No, I haven't. My um, wife's from Africa, yeah. right? And, um, yeah, my, my sister's married to a black American dude. Yep. My best friend's married to a woman from Congo. So there's yeah, like yeah. all the, yeah, yeah. Um, but it's very interesting, African black people in North America dealing with the assumptions of black American culture. Right, aimed at them. Yeah, it's yeah. like, hey, you're one of us. And like, eh, not really, yeah. I grew up in Paris. You know, yeah. like I have yeah, no, yeah, yeah. this whole slavery That's thing. That's what I said, because I'm friend, friends with Trevor Noah and we went on vacation. Oh, right. To, uh, we went on vacation and a friend of his came from South Africa and, and a married couple, black couple. And uh, they were saying... I said, why are, we were talking about why black Americans are angrier, like South Africans are not angry. And he said, and I said, why are, why are we were, I, I, it wasn't my, I didn't start the conversation, but I was part of it. Right. Um, and they said, South Africans are less angry because they knew when white people were in charge that it was that first of all that, that that black people outnumber white people like ten to one. I don't know what the ratio was, but probably ten to one, if yeah. not more. Uh, so there was that sort of just like okay, no, this is fine. Ah, give it time. <laughs> hey, we got you. like you know we can fucking at any point. Yeah, we could if we really you know yeah. wanted to. Um, and uh, so there was that, and then also the idea that in South Africa. You are not, you are told now that you are equal and you are, you are demonstrably equal, right? In America, you're told you're equal 
and you're demonstrably not equal. Yeah. And it's that uh, that tension that that's infuriating and and, yeah. and 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 dismaying. And I think like you know the there was a there was a thing 15 years ago that me and Dave used to talk about called post-traumatic slave disorder. <laughs> I'm not even kidding. It's like a real, someone posited this real oh, thing. Really? And I, it's what I call a white people headache. Yeah. It's You literally yeah. are driven insane. Yeah. You're literally, America, I believe, makes African-Americans a little insane. And I don't say that in a, I say that it, uh, with complete empathy. It makes uh, us all insane. It's I, impossible. I, I agree. Not to I be. agree. I agree. I agree. I Dave always brings that up that it's fucked up for both parties, but I don't think it's close. Mm. I don't think it's close in terms of who it's fucked up more for. Yeah, you know the thing that Casilda often mentions is uh, that the racism in Africa is explicit. It's on yeah. the table. I don't like black people. Like, yeah. and they'll say it right to a black person. Yeah. you know, it's kind of like the South a little yeah. bit. It's a little more honest. And what she finds really annoying in America is this, uh, the 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 falsity of it. You yeah, know, that that uh, we're all brothers and we're all created under yeah, equal, except for then, the whole time. Then the Constitution said you weren't. But duh, yeah, don't worry yeah, about that. Yeah, but now it's over. So yeah, just, you know, yeah, yeah, it's bullshit. Hey, thank you, man. Oh man, I, of I'm course. Gonna, I don't want to yeah, take up no, the whole I day, this is a perfect I'm amount of time. Really appreciate your making yeah. time for this. Super fun. I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. Thank you to everybody who supports the podcast through Patreon.com. You can decide how much you want to give the podcast, a buck a month, five bucks a month, ten bucks a month, or you can get completely crazy and give 20 bucks a month or more. Or you can give nothing. If you don't have any cash, don't worry about it. Just enjoy the podcast and tell your friends. Thank you to Basin and Range for that opening music at the beginning of the podcast. Very funky little tune there uh, called The Bright Side of the Sun, I believe. You can find out more about them at basinandrangeband.com. If you want to talk about the podcast with other listeners, a good place to do that is on Reddit. Just search Tangentially Speaking, all one word. There's a community of a couple hundred people in there chatting about the episodes. I drop in occasionally and say hello, answer questions, whatever. Uh, thanks to Shore Design T-shirts. Our garage is full of them. My mom has them all organized as only she can julie thank you to julie my mom she'll send those t-shirts out to you if you order them everything we've got in stock is from shore design t-shirts in thailand and you can check out their webpage as well for other designs thank you to carcy blanton you can find out more about carcy blanton at carcy blanton C-A-R-S-I-E-B-L-A-N-T-O-N.com. She wrote and performed the song you're about to hear, which is called Smoke Alarm. And it's a reminder to carpe fucking diem while you still can, because, ladies and gentlemen, you're going to die one day. Here's to you, Bennett. He said, baby, what's a big deal? Feel what you want to feel. Say what you wanna say You're gonna die one day For example, I could kiss you Just because I want to What's the difference if you turn away? I'm gonna die one day Why do you waste your time Thinking about your reputation Trying to meet an expectation 
wondering what they're gonna say when everyone you've ever known is headed for a headstone i don't want to give the end away but we're gonna die one day your body is an animal doesn't ask for much a little music and a soft touch why don't you let it out to play your heart is in a bird cage singing in your chest you want to shut it up but give it a rest you're gonna die one day why do we waste our time thinking about a reputation running from a confrontation wondering what we ought to say It's a big deal if you want to be free say what you want to feel spend the night with me i'm gonna take you up in my arms and if we must go down we'll go singing to the smoke alarms we'll dance into the ground